0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to the dolphins DolphinsTalk.com podcast network.
2: Hey, Dolphins, this is Michael Fink with the uh, Fin Fans Podcast. Each week we come to you and bring you our opinions on what's going on within the Dolphins organization. During the season, you'll hear two shows each week where we review and preview each game. We should straight from the hip and have fun in doing so. We'd like to thank both the Dolphins Talk Network and the Pigskin Podcast Network for their support. Uh, Make sure to check them out. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen to your podcasts. Please make sure to follow the show. That way you'll know when a new one comes out. It's truly appreciated. All right, let's uh, kick off today's show. And it's Mike. I'm here with a special guest today. I'm with uh, Kevin Bryant. And uh, Kevin, you've written a book. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me on. So I've written a book. It is called Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. And it details all of the collection techniques that NFL teams utilize to gather information on their opponents in order to try to gain a game, game day advantage. It also goes into the, the countermeasures that they use to, de- to defend against those collection techniques and the book spans the entire history of the NFL and has stories from every single NFL team.
2: That's pretty cool.
1: That is that
2: is pretty cool. I mean, I I don't think a book like this has been written before. And uh, I think it's something that most NFL fans are probably interested in. So, from that aspect it's really cool. Now, uh tell me a little bit about what what was your incentive? What I mean, what gave you the idea to even do it to begin with?
1: Yeah, so You know, Spygate 2 had just taken place, which was when Josh McDaniels, who was the Patriots offensive coordinator, moved over to the Broncos, became their head coach. Right. He moved over. He took along a former Patriots videographer with him. And that videographer, while in Denver, ended up recording some practice footage of another team. Um, and the Broncos got in trouble for that. McDaniels, the videographer got in trouble. And at that, that was after Spygate and at that point, I really began to wonder how much spying goes on in the NFL and uh-huh. so, you know, I, I spent some time researching it on the internet probably about a month, um, pretty much ran that to ground, realized there wasn't anything more there, looked for books on the internet on the topic and was really surprised at uh, the lack of anything available.
2: Yeah, I'm sure the NFL had it removed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um so I was working on a um intelligence studies master's degree at the time and I was about to transition over to do a second uh master's degree in sports management. I have my bachelor's in history. I have 23 years of experience collecting and safeguarding information for the Department of Defense and I'm a former special agent. So I thought with my background that I was like, man, I've been wanting to write a book for a long time and this is like, this is right up my alley being a lifelong NFL fan and I just thought, you know, I, I'm, I don't think I'm going to come up with a better idea with it than this and I'm just, I'm going to take this and run with it.
2: Well, I, I heard you're a Bronco fan, is that true?
1: That is true, yes.
2: Okay. You wrote the book, did you have resistance as you tried to find information?
1: Well, I won't say I had, you know, any official resistance. However. Writing on the subject is very difficult um, and, and pretty much no one wants to be interviewed unless that interview is anonymous. Uh, yep. So I did, I did conduct some anonymous interviews, but you know, really there are very few people that are willing to talk about it because it can potentially, um, you know, get that player in trouble with this team, with the league. It can taint legacies. Right. Um, and you know, these are, these are people who have their careers on the line. So, you know, no one wants to be that guy that points out, um, you know, especially everything that's going on within his own team, which could give away information. That's, that's, that's very helpful. And the team is relying on to, to win games. Right. Um, so a lot of the book was a lot of the research from the book. Um, it it came from two main sources, the internet and. Books that were previously written by coaches that are um, now out of the game. Sure. Um, that felt, you know, that they um, could talk about some of this stuff because it, um, you know, they had the freedom to do so at that point of, point in time in their lives. So I read about sixty books um, and sucked out the information that was pertinent to mine from from these old uh, uh, books to be able to collect enough information to be able to write on this topic
2: yeah I mean you know today I mean you know it, it's probably easier i would think to find out some information than it may be of finding out information years ago uh you know you trying to figure out what you know um the sixty eight jets were doing you know might be might be difficult but uh
1: yeah yes, the, the most M&A- of the
2: people are deceased you know that were that was involved in those games
1: absolutely yep um yeah, trying to track down some of the uh Personnel confirmed some of the stories was, was it, you know, it just simply wasn't possible, like you said, because of uh, because the amount of time that had gone by. Um, but I will say, you know, the Internet, I don't know how someone would write a book like this, um, you know, 40 years ago uh, before the Internet, because it just it became so easy at least right. to look things up, to fact check it right and, and explore all of this.
2: Now, you know, I started watching the game in 71 and, and my first real exposure to cheating was uh, uh, in Foxboro when uh, a snowplow driver came onto the field and cleared a spot for a field goal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we knew that was wrong, but they didn't stop it. So, you know, it just, it happened and the Patriots won the game and uh, that was as mad as I've ever seen Don Shua. And uh, life went on, but you know, you, you knew that that was not the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. And you know, that's the interesting thing about, um, you know, about spying or collecting on information your opponents. You know, there's all these different techniques out there. Um, and whether or not they are technically permissible, um, some of them are. Right. Some of them are in the gray and some of them are clearly not. Um, but you're going to always find coaches that are looking for those loopholes, you know. Oh. Um, and <laughs> Again, I'm going right. to bring up
2: the Patriots, right? They're they're yeah, they're yeah. known for cheating, you know.
1: Sure, absolutely. But um, but you know, there's a long history of this in the NFL, and that's yeah. one of the things I really uncovered with the book was, you know, this is not just a Patriots thing.
2: No, um, I wouldn't think it is. There are the Raiders,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there are collection techniques that all teams currently today are using week in and week out. And there's a bunch of other ones that are somewhere in the gray that are being extensively used throughout the NFL now.
2: Give me an example.
1: Um, lip reading. Okay. You know, trying to decipher sure. what a coach is calling into his headset, you know, right. is, it, is it, it's something that's probably frowned on by a lot of coaches, um, but it's used by a lot too. Um, or um, you know, debriefing players that switch teams.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that's pretty common. Right,
1: absolutely common. Some coaches will, you know, know, and for some, this is just a part of the game. For others, they're like, eh, I don't like this part of it. So it's all about what you feel comfortable with as a coach. Um, You know, it doesn't necessarily, these aren't techniques that violate any rules, but some are going to say, eh, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that. It's not part of the fair play of the game necessarily.
2: Well, there's there's ways to combat that too, right? I mean, if if you know that you've let a player go and your rival picks them up, you can change things and, and make it a little uh, difficult on him to uh, get you in trouble.
1: Absolutely. So yes, so one, one aspect of the book is I talk not only about the collection techniques, but I'm talking about all the countermeasures that teams use. So yeah, if you're talking about a team, uh, a player switching teams, um, Absolutely. If a, if a team knows they're going to face off one against their one of their former players that was recently cut, let go or signed by another team, then yes, they could take um, countermeasures and that could be changing signals, for instance, sure, sure. or it could be um, using the same signal, but making it a different play. Right. Right? So, you try to suck that player in to yep, make same, him, look,
2: same look, different player. Same
1: look, right. Make yep. him think he knows exactly what's about to take place and then it's something completely different and you, you suck that guy in. Um, so, yeah, and that goes on and I've got stories about just that thing in my book. Absolutely.
2: Your first chapter is titled uh, collection during practices. What, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So, that's all about how teams spy. Okay on another team's practices, um, to try to figure out, you know, you can learn about 90% of what a team's going to do the next game just through advanced scouting or film study. Right. Right. So, you know, but there's that 10% roughly yep. from game to game, to game, week to week, no, that little teams will change, right. Uh-huh. And there's really no way to be able to get that information. Uh, without using some unscrupulous um, means, and spying on practices is is one of those techniques that teams have relied on trying to figure out that other ten percent.
2: Yeah, I've I've heard actually you, uh, a couple of stories that you talked about uh, a priest on the sidelines or, or practice rather, and um, what was the other one? A dwarf.
1: Yeah. So um, Hank Stram. It was the AFL championship game. He was playing the Raiders. Uh, they were playing the Raiders, and a individual had sat down at a restaurant, and at the table next to them were a couple of Raiders players, including their quarterback. Uh huh. And the quarterback had sketched out um, some diagrams on on a table mat. Um, of what they were going to do. And so the, um, at the table next to those guys was a KC, was a KC couple, um, a couple KC fans. And they called up Hank Stram at his hotel and said, Hey, uh, we've got something for you that you might be interested in. And, um, Hank, Hank said, okay. You know, he wasn't really sure what it is. He thought maybe it was a ruse and Al Davis was trying to sucker him in and Uh provide either false information or get him in trouble with the league. Um, but lo and behold, um, he said, okay, we'll take it. Well, sitting there in his, in his room with him was Monsignor Mackey, uh, the team's unofficial clergyman. And Monsignor Mackey advised Hank He said, Hey, you know, I don't think it's a good idea for you to take this information. You know, what if it's a trick? And Hank said, yeah, you know, that's probably a good idea. He said, "Uh, so why don't you do it? Um, So (laughs) That's exactly what he talked um, Monsignor Mackey into doing. So he ended up being the guy who collected this information, um, from this couple, and, um, everything went down as planned and it was good information. It actually tipped them off to the wider rece- to, uh, the Raiders using their, um, their main wide receiver in the slot, which he had never done, never, um, had been used there before all season yep. long, Interesting, uh-huh. which helped out and it was definitely advantageous um but you know you've got a guy who's literally a priest you know helping out on these shenanigans and um yeah and then the other one which i think is a, a really funny story is um is you have an instance of a, a a little person um being used um to walk by another team's practice um and he was he was put in a stroller um as if he is a baby and given a fictitious mommy to push the stroller um, past a practice field. The Colts were practicing there, and George Allen allegedly, um, while with the Rams, had, you know, his team had devised this plot to, to push this uh, little person by in the stroller, um, while the little person had a, a, a video <laughs> recorder to be able Crazy. to record some of this footage. Um, while the Colts were practicing in Hollywood before the two teams played, so you know, and I think that just goes to show, you know, one how paranoid uh, teams will be, you know, because this is this is a pretty far-fetched plot, um, but it also shows, you know, just how far teams are willing to go to try to get that win, because whether or not this incident incident is true, this book, my book, is just filled with stories of. Just outlandish tales uh, that that are you know something out of a Hollywood movie
0: uh-huh.
1: um, that just that show just how desperate teams are to get that that advantage and any little thing that they can get to to try to beat their opponents and to get over the hump and win those championships is is vital and teams are willing to take um, some drastic steps to get there.
2: Chapter two, you, ha- you entitled uh, Locker Room Collection and Searching for Paperwork. That's kind of self-explanatory. Chapter three, Listening Devices. Uh, where, where would you find listening devices?
1: Yeah, so listening devices could be in your team facility. Uh, it could be in a hotel conference room or a coach's hotel room. It could be in a visitor's locking, locker room. That is right. a commonly feared place. That is known to be a place that has, mm-hmm. um, th- in college football, uh, there they uh, a coach ad- admitted, yeah, I, I put a, I put a listening device in trying to, uh, you know, get an upper hand against, against the coach. So absolutely. This is something that's very feared. And to tie this into the dolphins, you know, when, um, when drew Brees became available after, after, um, he left the chargers, right. It really, it came down to two teams that were going to sign him, right. It was either going to be the dolphins or the saints. Mm-hmm. And. Brittany Breeze, Drew Breeze's wife, was so concerned about the possibility of either the Dolphins or the Saints listening in to their conversations um, that they were having in a hotel room, (laughs) right? About, hey, what's the status of, is Drew Breeze's arm, is it really, you know, is it healed up? Who's he leaning towards going with? What are the deciding factors on how Drew and Brittany are gonna make the decision on which team to play for, all of that was of a a, a big enough concern to Brittany that she actually dragged Drew into the bathroom and turned (laughs) on running water to be able to have these conversations um, in a manner that she felt was safe. And you know, pretty
2: paranoid, but maybe maybe there was something
1: to it. It it is, but you know, this paranoia. You know, uh, you know, Peyton Manning admitted last year. He said, "Hey, when I was with, when we would play in Foxborough, I would take the receivers and drag them into the shower room, and inevitably (laughs) turn on the showers so that he and the wide receivers could have, you know, what he considered protected conversations, because he was worried about the exact same thing."
2: Uh huh. Chapter four, um, miscellaneous game time uh, collection.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of a catch-all for a bunch of different things. Um, So one of the topics that I go into there is lip reading, uh, which we've already talked about a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one would be um, trying to obtain the, the quarterback armbands Uh, Okay. Right. So this more or less has their, so when a coach calls in a play, they're not giving the name of the play. They're going to call in a number, right? They're going to say offensive coordinator is going to say 57. And if a quarterback's going to, he's going to look on his armband and see, oh, 57, that's this given play and it'll have the name of the play next to it. So to try to piece those two bits of information together, What's been known to happen is that a defensive defense, defenses will target quarterbacks and try to rip off those armbands in order to figure out the numbers, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that eventually um, they can try to piece together and if if they can learn what the play call is um, and what the name of the play call is, whether through you know stealing playbooks, uh, you name it, or debriefing players that were formerly with the team. But they can, if they can listen into that and learn that or have somebody lip read while that coach is calling it in and figure out what's this upcoming call that's upcoming play that's about to go in. So as you see, like with the, with those two, a lot of these techniques go hand in hand. Stealing a wristband can feed into lip reading and then it can fig and then it, or it can play, you know, it can play into getting a debrief from a player that was formerly with the team. All of this, these aren't, these aren't done these aren't isolated right. uh, it, techniques they all feed together to be able to exactly. build upon g- give the give you a clearer picture right <laughs> exactly uh, which is really interesting and i think it's one of the areas that the patriots do really well you know it's it, you know are they willing to stretch the bounds of propriety more than other teams i would argue probably yes but the thing they're really good at is being able to implement all of the information they get in a very organized and methodical fashion to be able to you know, take advantage of this because it becomes very, very complex when you get all this different information from all these different means and methods. Right.
2: You got to put the puzzle pieces together.
1: That's exactly precise. Yep.
2: Uh, chapter 5, Elicitation.
1: Yeah. Elicitation. That's, I think that's a really fun subject. Um, so. Elicitation is the art of getting information you want through the art of conversation while not letting the person you're talking to ideally know that you're <laughs> even targeting right. that information. Right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so Al Davis was one of the the greats at this. And he was, he was so, um, you know, he was so great at this. Uh, he would, he would, you know, um, there was a story in there how he did it with Joe Namath, you know, just sitting down at the racetrack while they were sitting there talking, and you know, and Al Davis like, hey, Joe, you know, when, when you do this play and you're dropping down, you know, back to pass, you know, what are you, what are you looking at at the defense? You know, are you looking at the safeties doing their thing or are you looking at the line of scrimmage? And, you know, Joe's just like, you know, Al, you know, it's like mostly what I'm, what I'm looking at when I do this. And then, you know, and then he just kind of stops cold. And he starts laughing and he realized what (laughs) Al's about to do, you know, what he's trying to do. Uh And he's like, 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 you know, and every time they would get together, they just kind of laugh about that. But, you know, um, you know, but Al Davis, he would, he would bring in, he was known to bring in all these coaches from around the league whenever he, he would have an open spot on his staff. And he would talk sometimes for days with one, with one inter, one interviewee. Um, he, he did this with, uh, Bill Belichick Uh and, 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 you know, he just soaks their brain and he's looking for, Hey, what are they doing? What makes them successful? What are some keys that, that they're doing on their team that I could implement? Um, and yeah, and he just do it and and what a great way to do it because those guys that are being interviewed, feel like, Hey, this is, this could lead me a job. I feel like I need to be able to talk. But so they open up a little more than, than usual. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it makes for some really interesting scenarios. Um, Peyton Manning was known to do this at the Pro Bowl. He uh-huh. would buy um, other Pro Bowl players my ties to loosen their lips. get up them a little drunk, bit, right? Get, right <laughs> get them a little intoxicated and then talk to them about uh, you know what makes them successful and what are they you know uh, and try stuff. to gain some secrets. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it goes on, it's been going on throughout the history of the league
2: You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and over/unders and props, your betting options feel endless. If you're a New York baseball fan, yeah, you can bet on the Mets. You can bet on the Yankees. Both are doing well, and uh, maybe you will too. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to one thousand dollars. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Chapter six: Insider information.
1: Yeah, so I think this is one of the chapters that is a little a little shocking. So um, there have there have been um, in you know insiders. Collecting information from other teams, um, whether that that is a player that has left the team and is no longer in the NFL that for financial reasons um, has been incentivized to provide information to another team, um, whether it's a volunteer just saying, hey, I've got information for you, or whether it is a guy who is like a general manager saying, hey, uh, why don't you come work for me to another coach? And when you do that, why don't you bring um, all this information, all the drafts, all the draft information secrets from another team, I'd like to know that. All of that has gone down and taken place and it is a very real concern. Um, So so teams will take some pretty crazy countermeasures to try to prevent all of this because it is a, a fear that you have a spy inside your own team um, the chiefs at one point were known to their general manager would have their security walk by, um, and actually close the shutters to the offices that overlooked the practice field because it was like, Hey, we're worried that an insider might give away, you know, yeah, stuff's um, getting out. Uh-huh. upcoming, upcoming information. So it's a very real threat. And this is, this is something that teams still take countermeasures, um, to counteract today.
2: On another note, um, how much do you think drones play a factor today?
1: Yeah. Drones are really interesting. So, back in the day, the real threat used to be airplanes and helicopters, mm-hmm. right? But, um, you know, and, and it was funny that, you know, some team, some, some coaches would even get so paranoid they would ask, um, they, would, they would have players or other coaches use binoculars to try to record the, the plane, you know, the plane serial numbers. So they call the <laughs> FAA to be able to check it, Find check up on it them, You know yeah. who does this belong to? Who owns this plane? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, today is, you know, as technology has evolved, uh, the threat is now the drones, of course, um, because they're, they're cheaper. They're much easier to conceal. I actually spoke with a, a drone expert not too long ago about this topic. And he said, you know, if this collection is done well, well, their teams would have no clue that it's going on. It's just, it's too hard to detect.
2: That's um, what I would think.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, so the question is, are teams, are teams doing it? You know, it's been a fear. Uh, the Falcons, um, you know, this came up during the Falcons Patriot Super Bowl not too long ago because a, a drone was actually uh, taken down um, that was um, looking in, that was hovering above the Falcons practice. And NFL security got involved and you know allegedly it's just a kid uh, who you know wanted to fly his drone over and check out what was going on um Uh but allegedly (laughs) yeah right right. (laughs) but it's a very real fear um and it would be very simple to do i mean this is something that a 12 year old 13 year old kid that there there are kids out there that know how to do this and know how to mask this well enough to be a threat to NFL teams so, if you don't think that you know NFL teams and video coordinators that have NFL that have training on drones, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know have the, the the training and the incentive to be able to do this stuff, you know, it, it's it's crazy not to think that. So, it's a, it's a very realistic fear.
2: Chapter seven, you talk about advanced scouting.
1: Yeah, so advanced scouting—that's really that's the bread and butter of collection. So. Y- you know, teams still send scouts to games to be able to watch their opponents. But sure. of course, today you're much more reliant on film study. Um, and film study is fantastic because there are such great programs today that let you analyze film every which way. You can search for stuff by, um, you know, third and one. You can look in and say, hey, what are the what do the Dolphins do on third and one? And, and, and it'll bring up a list of, of the plays they do on third and one in any given game, or you could check for a season right. um, and start building tendencies. Yeah. That's
2: probably different search criteria, like against yeah. a specific defense or whatever, you know?
1: Absolutely. So, and so you can learn a ton through, through that and identifying tendencies is really key. So I'll give you an example during the, the Dolphins perfect season, 1972. Um, the, the Super Bowl, right, was they were, Don Shula was going up against George Allen. Uh-huh. And George Allen was a master of identifying opponents' tendencies. And so what Shula did was he said, you know what? I know what George Allen's going to be expecting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to game plan against the Dolphins' tendencies. Uh-huh. And I'm going to try to set them up so that, you know, uh, if we usually run on first and 10, I'm going to pass on first and 10. And the result was very, very effective. They had some key big plays that game, including the first touchdown of the game that was, that all centered around simply tricking George Allen and his staff off of these tendencies. And so, um, you know, it's not just about it's not just about identifying the other team's tendencies, it's about identifying your own tendencies as well. Sure. Yeah.
2: Sure. Debriefs, chapter eight.
1: Yeah, debriefs. So that's a lot of, you know, when teams or other coaches go switch teams, uh, gotcha. um, you know, teams are gonna try to pick their brains, sure. especially if they're playing in the near future to try to figure out what do you know about your opponents when you were part of that team. So. Um, it can be, it really depends on their position, um, how much information they have. So like a, uh, a quarterback's going to have a ton of information because he knows everything about what a quarterback, the role of the wide receivers, the role of the running backs, the line, he understands the whole picture for the offense, right? Um, whereas you take a wide receiver, he's just probably going to know his, his part. And that's about it. But he may also know, Hey, you know, you know, uh, our quarterback, he used to hate this, uh-huh. you know, this is one of his weaknesses or he didn't like it when other teams would do this.
2: And he'll know what his coach likes to call.
1: Right, exactly. So, yeah, it can be extremely beneficial and these guys are key. And then also, you know, what are the signals that the team's sending and what do these hand signals mean? So there's there's absolutely a lot of information, um, but obviously- That's you know,
2: chapter nine. <laughs> yeah, signal, right. Signal collection. Yeah,
1: signals collection. So yeah. signals are collected in a lot of different ways. You can get them off of film. Uh You can get them through advanced scouts attending and watching these games. You can get them through former players. You can try to do it like the Patriots did it once upon a time and videotape the signals, (laughs) Um, which is not permissible, but you know. um,
2: Yeah, you can steal them, you just can't film them.
1: Correct, absolutely, yeah. So, and all teams are trying to collect this information, right, it's just a matter of it is not, filming it is not permissible. But there's a big advantage to filming it because these these signals are sent in fo- so quickly that mm-hmm. it's it can be very very difficult to de- to decipher and some and of hard them to are, spot. it can be hard to spot yeah so, and and the you know offensive plays are be- get very complicated and so um, so yeah they can they can be they can be a, a bit more complicated depending on how they're structured or they can be very simple um, it just depends but um, but the speed is really the factor. And being able to either put it in slow motion and watch the signals as they're being done or, um, or just being able to watch it time and time again is, is, is really key. And then once you figure out the signals, you can confirm it in a variety of manners, you know, um, you bring in it, whether that's through a player debrief, when they come in, whether that's through, um, just simply advanced scouting. And continue to follow up with the team, game after game. Hey, does that signal still mean this? Yep, it sure does or no, it doesn't. They change it to this. Um, so, yeah, teams are constantly trying to keep up with that.
2: Chapter 10: Open source and media collection.:
1: Yeah, so media collection. you know, teams use every single collection technique they have to try to figure out what it, what their opponents Going to do and trying to find that extra 10% of what's going to be going on the next game that they didn't do in the future. And the media can sometimes provide that link for you. So um, so teams watch opponents' um, interviews and talk, whether that's on TV, radio, the newspaper, because sometimes these reporters and journalists have an inside track. And sometimes they report information that coaches wish they wouldn't have. Right. Um, such as injuries, or what a team, what they saw, what a reporter might mention, what he saw in practice. And sometimes players have loose lips, and they just slip up. Right. And it can be, it can be a big advantage. And it's something as simple as, like, let's say there's a, co- a quarterback controversy, and going into a game, the other team's not quite sure who the quarterback is going to be, whether it's, whether it's a controversy or whether, you know, there's an injured quarterback, and you're not sure who's going to start. And if a player happens to slip up and mention, oh, you know, so-and-so, quarterback A is going to be the quarterback who's starting, that gives that defensive coordinator um, of the opponent a huge advantage. Sure. Because then they can game plan around that and figure out, oh, this is great. But of course, you've got to be leery because at the same time. um, Is it
0: true? Right.
1: Right. Is it true? And certain coaches have been known to manipulate the media to purposefully Provide false information, so it's a, it's a cat and mouse game, which you know is very intriguing.
2: Yeah. Part three is is the draft and free agency, and chapter eleven is draft prospects. That's interesting to me.
1: Yeah. So you know, just like teams collect information on their opponents, teams are also collecting on prospects because these guys are going to have millions of dollars invested into them, and there's so much parity in the league today that. Um, you know, and, and, and with the salary cap too, um, it's really hard. You're looking for every little advantage you can get and you really want to make sure you, your draft picks are as successful as possible. And so one way they do this is trying to gain information about the prospects, whether that's learning about them as players or learning about them as people. Uh-huh. Cause learning about them as people is often the deciding factor to do they have the work habits to be able to develop. And also, um, are they going to get in trouble, whether that's right. with the law? Do they have alcohol, drug problems, gang problems, you know, criminal aptitudes? Well, teams want to know about all of this ahead of time. So teams will go through you know, all kinds of tactics to include um, having a surveillance team uh, watch these players uh, to figure out to station them at a bar. You know, if they know (laughs) the favorite bar of a guy, hey, how many times does he go in there? Or follow him in on an airplane or, you know, or set him up such as when we bring him in for a visit, I want the driver to show up 10 minutes late on purpose. I want to see how this prospect reacts. reacts. Is he a jerk? And is this a guy who we don't want to have on the team? Or does he, you know, accept it graciously? And when he said, oh, sorry, I got stuck in traffic, he goes, oh, you know, no problem. No worries. So every single time a guy's, these draft prospects, high draft prospects are brought in for visits, these guys are, you know, these people that interact with these prospects are gonna be constantly debriefed. to say, hey, what was your interaction with this prospect? What happened? What took place?
2: Right. Opponents draft targets.
1: Yeah, so, you know, when you're, when teams are drafting players, they always want to get the most bang for their buck, right? So, if you can buy a couch for $500, you don't want to pay $800, right? right? So, it's the exact same thing for NFL teams. If they can get a prospect in the third round, they don't want to draft them in the first round. So, teams are always assessing not only prospects, but they are assessing how do other teams view prospects, right? which gets really interesting. So, if, you know all these scouts go to a lot of the same events you know the scouting combines the senior days they're attending a bunch of the same practices out there for for you know college practices and so they're constantly bumping into each other and having conversations as fellow professionals and so when they're doing that not only are they um you know shooting the breeze and saying hey how's your wife and family but they're saying hey what do you what do you think of this kid and those, those assessments, they go back to team headquarters.
2: You talk about pro scouting, um, what are you referring to there?
1: Yeah. So pro scouting is, it's not only draft prospects that are constantly assessed. It is players that are already in the pros um, or, or guys that are being brought in off the street, maybe from different sports. So those guys get constantly assessed as well. And
2: um, that's not really cheating, right?
1: No, it's not. Um, it's just simply, you know, it's doing your homework. Um, and it's, uh, you know, they're kicking the tires. They're trying to look into, um, you know, Hey, this, this is a, this is a great player. He's been in the league for five years. Maybe he's a Pro Bowl player, but he's got some red flags. You know, he's had, he's had, he's had a history of getting in trouble. And do we want to take a chance on him? You know, this guy may cost us 70 million over five years. Do we want to spend that kind of money for a guy with that type of troubled past? And so, you know, they're sending guys out to try to dig into it and try to figure out, you know, what is this guy up to? And yep. and is he is he worth the risk?
2: Gotcha. Uh, chapter 14, the AFL and NFL fight over players.
1: Yeah. So this is this is one of my this may be my favorite chapter in the book. And it's all about the battle that the NF, the, the AFL had with the NFL. To see who was going to be, who was going to reign supreme in professional football in the mm-hmm. United States. And um, the AFL almost won that battle. And, you know, no, the truth is no one won. The leagues right. merged. They, they merged. They merged. Right. That's, right. The, yeah. But it's all about the story. Well, you of can't how beat them, join there. them,
2: right? <laughs> That's exactly
1: what happened. And it was, man, it could have gone either way. And it's a really interesting story about the competition that took place. And the, the spying techniques that teams used during that, which were just absolutely absurd. Um, you know, they used these guys, these businessmen for the most part, most part, that they called babysitters, who were a bunch of rich businessmen that they would try to use to convince college prospects to join their league, either the AFL or the NFL. And then sometimes when they find them and convince them, um, they would hide them away so that the other league couldn't even get their hands on them. Um, and so they take these guys and hide them out in all these various places, uh, with these babysitters. And then it's this war of the other team tries to find them and tries to lure them away at times. Um, and it's just this cat and mouse game of, uh, you know, it's hide and seek at its very best. Yep. for the biggest talent in college football, and it just—it's it, some fantastic, great stories of what goes on. Um, teams are spending huge dollars uh, trying to trying to win over the best players and and keep them with their prospective leagues. And Al Davis was just just hilarious. Um, you know, I mean, you've got stories of teams having hidden drafts um, to try to, you know, throw off the other league and get the other hand. Um, you've got stories of like Al Davis, uh, allegedly being Al Davis. Um, that's what the NFL suspects. Um, you know, calling, um, you know, they got in contact with all the NFL's babysitters and said, Hey, um, you know, the day before the draft, we want to have a conference and we want all the, all the NFL's babysitters here at this location. And so that almost took place here. Um, and like literally while, while some of these babysitters were on the plane about to fly to this location, uh, the NFL called them and said, "Hey, this is this was all a, you know,
2: I can hear this, this, coming. Uh-huh. this was
1: a ruse. You know, this uh-huh. didn't, we don't want you here. You need to get back and you need to protect these prospects coming out of college cuz this draft from both leagues is about to take place and you're not there to protect them." <laughs> and you know, and the NFL was convinced that Al Davis was behind this whole thing, and he probably was. He
2: probably he was. He was, was pretty right. shrewd. I he mean, was people very don't give shrewd. him credit for being shrewd, right. but he was shrewd.
1: Yeah, but the chapter is just chock full of stories like this uh, that I think are you know some some of the greatest to come out of of, of the league, um, and I, I thought were just fascinating.
2: The rest of the book appears focused on the Patriots.
1: Yeah. So the Patriots. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it does. So I've got a chapter on Spygate and I've got a chapter on uh, Deflategate and uh-huh. then another on everything that you, well, that's not well known. Um right. And it includes headset tampering, the allegations oh, yeah. of headset tampering, the allegations of the Patriots stealing other teams' play sheets. And, you know, I think... And it's and there's a bunch of other techniques that the Yeah, the over the
2: years, I, I think we found out that Belichick will do whatever it takes.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Um so yeah, I think it's really it's really interesting. Um I think I've got a pretty unique take on the headset tampering and how it uh-huh. could have been done. You know, I won't say with absolute certainty that it was, although there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of people saying you know hey, well, when Man- we manning will
2: tell you it was <laughs> yeah
1: and, and and it's you know um i think if you read the book uh you know you'll there's there's a lot of evidence that points towards it but the question is always how do you do it you know these are these devices in today's game are protected with military level encryption uh-huh. and you know and there's a lot of very convoluted, very technical, and and um, theories out there about how the Patriots could conduct headset tampering, um, which, yeah, it could be. Um, I think I've devised and came up with a much simpler and much more likely um, uh, means for the yep. Patriots to have done this, which is I, I think is I think is is fairly convincing, and um, I won't give that away. But, no, that's fine. But uh, I, I definitely think it's 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 worth worth a read there, and um, yeah, just reliving Spygate and Deflategate, um, and going through that and really going through that in detail because as much information as was out there, it's really hard to put to put together all the pieces of the puzzle, and right. um, and to do that through the lens of everybody, you know, that whether it's the Patriots roger goodell the fans the various teams that were affected and and that's what i've tried to do and 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 i think one of the most interesting things is the nfl's reaction or sometimes lack of a proper reaction and and punishment on some of these things and then um And then how that's changed, you know, the, 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 their reaction during Spygate versus Deflategate was very, very different. Um, and, and hopefully the NFL learned some lessons, but I think the ultimate thing that it comes down to is, you know, until the NFL puts enough, makes the punishment heavy enough that the, that it, the Patriots are scared to do these things, that this type of stuff is going to take place, whether it's from the Patriots or it's from another team and. And maybe we don't want it to go away. Maybe this is just good fun and entertainment, which I think a lot of it is. Um,
2: well, stealing signals and stuff like that, I'm going to tell you its just part of the game. Right. Um, but when you get into, you know, <laughs> listening devices and stuff like that, to me, that's over the top, you know, that, that's taking it a little too far.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people will argue that. And yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things is, you know, where the line is drawn is not necessarily always what is cheating versus what is not cheating because you know, a whole, you know, I wouldn't say, Hey, a team got called for a holding penalty that game. They cheated. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. You know, there's lots of stuff when it comes to spying that is not necessarily breaking a rule that is much more controversial than that. Um, and then you do, and some stuff that happens that is clearly breaking a rule that still, some teams are going to go. eh, well, you know, all the teams are doing this, yep. you know, and then you get stuck with listening devices where you're going to say, "Well, it, it, one, it breaks a rule, um, but also, yes, it is frowned upon and, and accepted as the norm of being. This is this, you know, this is not accepted. That's that's the norm among coaches among the football world. So the interesting, I would think thing it is, should be, yeah, yeah, it really comes down to what are those norms. Yep. And sometimes those norms are just are just that. It's not what's right, what's wrong, what is punishable, what's not. It's just what's commonly accepted.
2: Yeah, what's not hurting anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so just a matter of how you look at it, you know, you can you can debate all of it. But you know, these coaches are under pressure to win and uh, you know, they take that seriously.
1: Absolutely. So that's the theme of the book. It's whatever it takes, which is an expression that uh, Al Davis, Al and Chuck Knoll made made famous, and used extensively. But it it just goes to show, you know, one of the points. I try not to get too serious about all this stuff in the book. I think a lot of it's it's just it's it's fun, you know. Mm -hmm. This does it affect wins and losses? Absolutely. But you know, there's a lot of entertainment that comes out of this aspect of football as well, and you know. But I think for the for the people that are involved in all of this and in football, you know, their careers are wrapped up on this. They're, this is a salary for them. Yep. If, they, if they lose their job, it's their salary. It's their friends. It's their network. Their it's, reputation. It's their, it's their reputation. Yep. It's everything is tied into being a member of the NFL. And so they're not necessarily. Sometimes it's whatever it takes to get those wins. And sometimes it's whatever it takes just to stick around Mm -hmm. and enjoy this game that they love because let's face it, you most often you're going to get one shot at being a head coach. That's it. It comes and it goes. And, you know, and so, yeah, some of them are willing to do whatever it takes to, to try to succeed. And, um, and it makes some really great stories. And while, you know, we build. While we view a Bill Belichick as the, you know, the, I don't want to say the, the, the bad guy of today's NFL, you know, eventually he becomes someone like a Darth Vader where, yep. yes, he's a bad guy, but man, he, you know, Star Wars doesn't work without the, you know, without Darth Vader and, right. and he becomes such a, an entertaining part of the NFL, which is what Al Davis has eventually became. And you know he was he was seen as the same thing as Bill Belichick, but now are you, he's try, are you those... trying to
2: say that Belichick's going to be looked like it as a good guy later on?
1: <laughs> no, but he will be viewed through a different lens because yeah. it won't have that emotional feel of today of all those th- the other the fans from the thirty one other teams going. Oh, I can't stand that Belichick and Patriots guys because I know they cheat. Eventually, it's just going to be a story that's going to be oh man, you should have heard about the things Bill Belichick did. It was wild.
2: You know, he's a brilliant football coach, just in and of itself. There's no no reason he has to pull some of the things that he pulls.
1: He is. And there's a guy that works under him named Ernie Adams, Uh who is probably one of the top four or five guys, smartest guys in the NFL. And you put both of those guys on one team, and it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not even fair. It's, it's a huge advantage.
2: So Kevin, I'm sure people are interested. Uh, how can they get your book?
1: Yeah. So I've got, uh, if you go to my website, spies, uh, you can find out more about me, about the book. It's got all my social media handles and it has all your ordering options as well. Uh, the book is out in hardcover ebook and it will be out in audiobook in about a month. Very cool. Thank you.
2: I, I want to thank you uh, for, you know, spending some time with us. Uh, <laughs> I know the dolphin fans will be interested in, in this and hopefully they uh, get themselves a copy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks Mike, thanks for having me on and yeah, uh, yeah the book definitely has some good dolphin stories in there. So, uh, yeah, I hope people check it out.
2: Very cool. All right, well, With that, we're going to close the show. We'll be back later in the week uh, with our usual hosts. And uh, Finn's up, everybody. All right, that's today's show. I just want to remind everyone that the Finn Fans Podcast is proud to be part of DolphinsTalk.com Podcast Network and the Pigskin Podcast Network. Check out these sites, guys. There's lots of podcasts and information there that you'll enjoy. All right, until next time. Be well and take care,
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.